Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a number of folk have asked me, you know, does it feel, <coughs> excuse me, does it feel a bit strange, Robert? Is it difficult to come back to a church that you, you led for a while? And um, I reply immediately, far from it being strange, it's been a wonderful blessing. Um, Sue and I have just felt such a privilege in being part now of what God is doing in these days and seeing what God is doing. And we're overjoyed. And to be honest, it's like coming home. And um, we just thank God for all the amazing things he's done. When um, Duncan took over the leadership, I was in faith that Duncan and his team would lift the church to a new level. And that's what's happened. And I'd love to commend you as a church. And of course, I'm part of the church as well. So, <laughs> uh, But I think God has done incredible things here. This is an outstanding church. And you are privileged to be part of it. That is true. I've seen many, many churches in my lifetime. But this is a very, very special church. And God is doing an amazing thing here. And I think some of the things that I've, particularly over the last 10 years, have really longed to see in church life, I see here. Obviously, we're all works in progress, and you won't find a perfect church. But to see what God is doing is just thrills my heart. So thank you, every one of you, for your kind and gracious welcome. We love being amongst you again. Okay. Um, Let's pray. Father, we just ask you to speak to our hearts and change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when Laura and John recommended this book to me, Changes That Heal, okay, by Dr. Henry Cloud, <clears throat> I honestly felt like I'd been thrown a lifeline. Here was an exceptionally gifted Bible teacher and a clinical psychologist offering practical and biblical solutions for things that have dogged my life, all my life. And I highly recommend it to you. Bill Hybels calls it a must-read. And um, Moreland's students are recommended to read it as well. And much of what I'm going to be sharing this morning is actually draws from that. But it got me thinking much more about church and how church should be. Uh, we have a wonderful vision statement here. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, it's a great mission statement. It's a motivational mission, mission statement. But it's not just a statement. It's actually a declaration of war. Okay? To be a transformed people who transform the world is a declaration of war. It's a declaration of war against all that's within me that would war against that or that would put myself first or would take a back seat or would uh, not use the gifts God has given me. It's warfare to be transformed. And if we think about God's purpose for us, our destiny is to be transformed into the image of his son, into the image of Jesus. 
That is our destiny, to be transformed. So that will be opposed by the evil one every step of the way. The last thing he wants to see is a world full of people who are like Jesus. Okay, and to become like Jesus is warfare. So it's not just the mission statement, which is a great set of words. This is something we need to be committed to. And I'm willing, and I want to be, and I have been all my life, committed to becoming more like Jesus. Amen? That's what the world needs. And um, it's, this is all about personal transformation that we're going to be talking about this morning. One example, pride. How do, how do I deal with pride? Doesn't that need to be transformed? Jesus was humble to the core. That's the literal meaning of, of that statement. He was humble to the core. How do I become humble? By humbling myself. Okay? I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's a tough and a difficult thing to do. And in church life, there are all sorts of situations where God is calling us to humble ourselves, to walk humbly with our God. That's what it means to be transformed. How many problems exist in churches where people are unwilling to humble themselves? Unwilling to let go of a position. Unwilling to step down. Unwilling to forgive and keep short accounts. And the thing is, I can't do this on my own. I can't be transformed on my own. I can only be transformed as part of God's family. Where people are speaking into my life. Where, where people are presenting issues that I've got to handle and deal with in a Christ-like way. That's how I get transformed. That's how I become more humble. You know, it's very hard to offend a humble person. It is. If you're truly humble. Then just another, taking another example. Um, and really this comes out of, out of um, Dr. Cloud's book. Not all of us find it easy to get truth from our head to our heart. Okay? So you can explain something to me. But if it stays in my head, I can't live out the reality of it. I perfectly understand it. What you've said, I understand. But there's something which prevents this from here to here. And Dr. Cloud in his book says, for those of us who are like that, we can't get it from here to here without your help. Well, I can't get it from here to here without someone's help, without a child of God helping me. Okay? And it's often... The cause of that is often, you know, in the upbringing and the early years and the damage done in dysfunctional families and things like that. But if I have a sense, say for instance, the truth that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's one thing to know in your head. It's another thing to know in your heart. Now for many of us, that isn't a problem. We, we can know it almost simultaneously. We get it in our head, it goes to our heart. But for many of us, that is not the case. It stays in the head, doesn't get to the heart. And um, I'll give you an example of how this can change. Uh, the other week, Mornay was speaking about freedom. And he, he spoke about some very basic freedoms that 
many of us still struggle with really basic stuff. Am I saved? That type of thing. Let's get right to the core of things. And I stood at the back. But it really cost me a lot to stand, I have to say. But the environment encouraged me to stand. Okay? And when I stood, I was immediately surrounded by people that I've known for years who, who got round me and prayed for me. Right? I have loved you with an everlasting love. And other things were coming through. Scriptures were coming through. Prayers were coming through. And what I had to do was make a conscious decision to receive these words as coming directly from God to my heart. And as I did that, they, they took on a new sort of strength and a power around me. And I received them and I was lifted in my soul. And I'm thinking, it's on its way from my head to my heart. That's how it happens. Now, this morning, we went, I think, I always have too much stuff. I just, you know, I have to hack it out as I go through. Um, but this is what we're basically going to be looking at. Four essentials in godly parenting. and What happens when they're absent, done inadequately, or the very opposites become the norm, which unfortunately is the case with some. And how damaged people can and should be healed within the family of God. And I'll unpack that in a moment. How does that happen? Fully embracing, what well, these are three things that we're going to be looking at. Fully embrace, embracing what it means to be the body of Christ. Okay, what it actually means to be the body of Christ. Secondly, what it means to speak the truth in love. Because that is in context of bringing people to maturity. And then by being intentionally obedient to God's word when it comes to one anothering. And we're, we're familiar with that. But often we pay lip service to it. We don't actually put it into practice. Over 50 references to one anothering. So... Essentials in godly parenting. Why this is important is because it will reflect on what we get to at the end as well. So we'll be coming back to these things. So I'll just state them now. One, bonding with your child. Okay? Building and maintaining a deep heart connection with them for life. No matter how they might behave, so that it will be easy for them to bond with other people and to bond more specifically with God. So as you create that bond with your children, you're preparing them and equipping them to be able to bond with God. So if that is absent, think of the consequences that that will bring about. Second area is boundaries, creating and maintaining godly boundaries for them throughout their upbringing so that they grow... As they grow, they will create their own boundaries and become self-disciplined, able to say no when appropriate. So bonding, boundaries, you'll, you'll see they're all Bs, all right? <laughs> uh, 
then maintaining a balance through a grace-filled approach to good and bad, avoiding legalism so they never believe the lie that only what is perfect is acceptable. When I read this in his book, it was like a light went on inside because I've always struggled with that. I see the the wrong in me or I see the dark side in me and, and the devil says to me, that proves you're not a child of God. Because if you were a child of God, you wouldn't have that in you. It would all be dealt with. It would all be done and dusted. I mean, in my head, I know that's a lie. But in my heart, I don't know that it's a lie. It's a lie which is easy to believe. But to to see that here is someone who knows what they're talking about saying, it's okay not to be perfect. In fact, we can't live in peace if if we're believing that lie. And lastly, building up your children so that they're happy in their own skin. They're happy to be who they are. That comes through unconditional love, acceptance, encouragement, giving them a healthy sense of self-worth so that they won't have an inferiority complex. That's all part of parenting. Now we're going to look at a biblical view how this parenting works in church life. Okay? So we're going to look at a passage of scripture in um, Matthew, Matthew 12. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers, including his sisters, stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my, brother, here are, are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God in heaven is my brother and sister, and we could say, and father and mother. This is, in general, how Jesus was speaking. Now, I'm really thrilled in my heart, I can say, that Jesus was brought up in a godly family where he was loved and treasured. Okay, sometimes we miss that. Jesus himself was brought up in a loving home. And I love to think of Joseph teaching him carpentry. I love carpentry. I love to make things with wood. And just to think of his father teaching his son. And he was known as the carpenter. He had a good relationship with his mum and with his dad. And I think that's great. I'm thrilled about that. But they, like all of us, um, were far from perfect. His mother tried to organise him. Okay, we won't go into detail, but I think we'd recognise that. (laughs) His brothers and sisters did not believe in him. His family felt they had prior rights. They could interrupt him in the middle of a teaching session. He should stop what he's doing and go and attend to them. A dutiful Jewish son would not leave his family or the family business to teach crowds. Essentially, they were not doing the will of God. So Jesus makes a comparison. Here is my family. They're calling me out from teaching. They are not doing the will of God at this moment in time. Who am I with? 
these are the people who've come to listen to me. These are those who believe in me and trust in me. These are my family. Who are my family? Those who do the will of God. So not doing the will of God messes up people's lives. Okay, so the whole parenting thing is crucial here. If these four aspects that I've just mentioned are absent or neglected or the very opposite is practiced in that home, the will of God is not done in that home. The people get messed up in that home. But Jesus said, in my family, the will of God is done. And so those who are messed up by their biological families can be put back together again in the family of God. We are to be family to one another. Okay, a transformed people is warfare. We've all got a part to play in this. And uh, God wants to start straight away. Amen? (laughs) I've got a slide here of um, Gareth Thomas. Gareth Thomas, Welsh rugby legend. Uh, He got over 100 caps, I think, for his country. He's just completed a Tour de Trophy. Did we see that on, on the TV? Some of us will have seen it. He rode this special bike and truck from one end of the country to the other and um, met up with lots of homeless people on the way. And he was being interviewed and he said this, I've been inspired myself by a group of young ho- homeless people who told me I had inspired them through my rug- rugby career. And he said, after a very telling thing, he said, I realized that I was inspired when I believed I'd been an inspiration to them. Isn't that interesting? And this is, this is a rugby player. He's quite an insecure sort of guy. But he actually said that, and I thought, that's what it's all about, is believing, isn't it? It's trusting that actually I can inspire we can inspire one another, all right? We can. We can motivate one another. We can help one another in this whole process of transformation. Okay, let's move on. We can be transformed by the family of God when we fully embrace what it means to be the body of Christ. The human body has many parts, but they make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. God, God has put each part just where, it, where he wants it to be. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Do we do that? Do all the members care for each other? Because often it's down to a certain group of people to do that caring. That's not the emphasis in the Bible. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured or praised, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. It doesn't say should suffer or should feel honours. It's stated as, as a fact. Okay, now I had a bad toenail 
uh, and it lasted a year. I don't know if anyone's had big toenail fungal infection. They are a pain. They last a year, and even now, uh, two years on, I can still feel the effects of that. Did my whole body feel my big toes problem? Yes, it did. Okay? It's a, it's a simple thing, but do we... Is church like that for us? Is our understanding of the church like that for us? Are we family? Are we body? Are we the body of Christ? We all need to know that uh, we are essential and essential parts of the body and belong to it. We all belong to it. That God has placed us in it and he wants us to be part of the body where he has placed us and no part of the body can say to another, I don't need you. We are all needed. Okay, now the, the emphasis there is that we are interdependent. But the emphasis in my, um, well, my training, when we were training for missions, I remember in our, in our mission, it was all about, you've got to be the last man standing. If you haven't got the strength and the guts and the commitment and the faith to be the last man standing, don't bother. You know, and it's all like, that is not the picture we get in the Bible. The picture we get in the Bible is that we need each other. We can only be transformed into the image of Christ through interaction with each other. There are many people out there who need healing. There are many people in this room who need healing. Healing can flow through this amazing body. We'll get on to another scripture which brings that out even more so. Okay. We can be brought to maturity within the family of God by understanding how the maturing process takes place. And this, we get this from Ephesians 4. Through the ministry of the gifts of the Son, that's the, known as the Ephesians 4 ministries, they, that is the family of God, will no longer be immature like children. Instead, speaking the truth in love, they will grow up in every way to be more and more like Jesus. Each part, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love, healing itself in love. This is an amazing picture. Isn't it? It's an amazing picture. My healing comes through being part of the body and receiving the blood supply, the nutrients from Christ himself, the head, through each member of the body, and that brings healing. The message puts it this way. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God and robust in love. That's a brilliant translation, isn't it? The Amplifier Bible, causing the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. Or literally, the body grows by truth and love, by maintaining, living and doing truth, by grace and truth working together. I had an experience about, um, about a year ago I had the opportunity to visit a man, um, 40 years of age. His story is so sad. He'd been thrown out of his home at the age of 16 for being gay. 
on the advice of church leaders. They considered him a threat to his parents' Christian marriage. And we could think that this actually was a church that was going through the Toronto Blessing at the time. I don't doubt the Toronto Blessing at all, but I certainly doubt this. This is not how we should be. Over the years, he'd become dependent upon drugs and alcohol and made several attempts to take his own life. God put a deep desire in my heart to visit him just to say sorry on behalf of the church that had brought that about. And um, I made inquiries and they they said, he's never, ever going to see you. You're a church leader. He will not see you. I persisted. I prayed. This went on for months and months. Eventually, amazingly, he agreed to see me. And I went round to see him, and I have never seen anyone in such an emotional state as I saw this man. He's 40 years of age now, big guy. He was an absolute mess. I've never seen anyone so emotionally damaged and traumatized and But what amazed me even more was that as soon as I saw him, I loved him. I I looked at him and I loved him. And I knew this was a supernatural love, God's love. God wanted to reach him with his love. It's what we're talking about, the body and love flowing through, the love bringing healing. Anyway, I made the apology and he listened patiently. And then for about an hour, he ranted and he raved and he twisted and he wept. And eventually he calmed down. And then he said, thank you so much for listening. I was just completely bowled over. Then he stood and I stood and I embraced him. I held him and it was just, he responded to me like a long lost son. Anyway, it was just before Christmas, and uh, so someone gave up, came out to me and gave me a present. They said, this is from that man I'd seen. And he sent me a Christmas present. It was all beautifully bound up. I was amazed and just stunned by it. Then a few weeks later, I was told he stopped using drugs, he stopped using alcohol, He's looking for a job. And the person who told me was really bowled over, member of his family, absolutely bowled over. Now, he doesn't know Jesus yet. We're praying for him. But the power of love from one individual to another can do that sort of transformation. And I've seen him twice since then, and he's a different person. He, he's... he's Himself, he can speak, he's trying to get back into work. God wants us to be a healing family, those within and those outside. So, those who are part of the family, we need help. Those who are outside visitors, those who we meet, we want to be there for them. This is where they can receive that healing as well. So we do it not only by functioning um, as the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love, but we do it as one anothering. 
Now, one-anothering is often misunderstood. One-anothering is not about body ministry, okay? We one-another when it's not just the guy up the front doing everything. We're all doing everything. That's not what one-anothering is about. It's about being Jesus to one another. It's about being a healing family. It's about functioning as a living, breathing body with Jesus as the head and every member involved with one another as the needs dictate. We don't have time to unpack these. I'm just going to go through them, read them out, basically, and uh, say one or two things about one or two of them. Okay, commanded. Love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the new commandment. Just stop there and think about that for a moment. Love one another as I have loved you. I've laid down my life for you. I'm here for you. I would never leave you or forsake you. That's what it means to love one another deeply from the heart. Carry each other's burdens. Act and be devoted to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be patient, bearing with one another. Care for one another. Comfort and honour one another. This gives an example uh, of the way we can do that for one another in a very specific way as God's representative. Okay? When we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God used the arms of Titus to comfort Paul. Okay? God didn't, you know, God didn't say, wait in a room, put your hands in the air, and I will comfort you. He sent Titus, who embraced him. Jesus became a man. He was a man. He's a human being. We need human beings to express that and to convince us of the truth of it. Amen? Back in uh, Salisbury, I, I sort of responded for prayer on one occasion. I went to the front and I'd spoken to Roger Smith. Um, you know, I'd poured out my heart to him and he'd pray for me. Anyway, I, I go up to the front to receive prayer and he comes alongside me, puts his arm around my shoulder and then he just weeps. Doesn't say a word. He wept all the time. He had his arm around my shoulder. <laughs> Didn't say a word. But you see, Jesus was weeping. He was weeping over the things that were causing me to respond to that appeal. It was Jesus weeping. Such a blessing. Amen? Confess your sins to and pray for one another. Strengthen and encourage one another. Forgive and live in harmony with one another. Meet with and motivate one another. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Well, we've, we've unpacked a little bit at the beginning about those four areas. We'll go through them. I won't say much about them because of the time. We haven't got enough time. But basically, these four areas um, that we refer to in parenting... 
they become areas of need within us as disciples of Jesus. And this is where we need the transformation to take place. Bonding our relations with, with, with God and with others made difficult by lack of heart connection with our parents. Not going to unpack this. It's clear, isn't it? We have problems in bonding with God if we haven't bonded with human beings. There's one example in in his book, a Christian AA member, alcoholic. She wrote this, I could be honest about my failures with the AA organization, but more importantly, I could be honest about my helplessness. When I found out that God and others fully, lovingly and unconditionally accepted me in both my addiction and my helplessness to control it or free myself from it, I began to have hope. As much as the church preached grace, I never really found acceptance there for my real state. They, accepted, they expected me to change simply with God's help. AA told me by myself I could not change, but with their help I could. Another area of struggle, boundaries. I think that's pretty clear. We don't really need to speak about that. But it's an area where we need to help one another so that we can do that. The next area is this area of badness. Maintaining peace without perfection made difficult by disapproving and fault-finding parents. If you've lived in that sort of environment, you know, fault-finding, you think God's a fault-finding God. You think he's on your case looking for faults. God isn't looking for faults. He's looking for faith, isn't he? He's not looking for faults. But you see, the devil will point, he's the accuser of the brethren, so it comes all the time, 24-7, you're this, you're that, you're doing this, look at that thought, look at this. All that sort of stuff brings us down. But we can help one another to know you don't need to be perfect. In fact, you never will be perfect. We're a work in progress. No one will be perfect. The Bible says when we see him, we will be like him. All right, so we've made, some of us have made... Not much progress. Some have made a bit more. Some have made loads of progress. But in a twinkle of an eye, it will be finished. It will be completed when we see him face to face. Amen. And then, last area. Being below standard. Never measuring up. Never feeling that you can, you know, you're on the same plane. I struggle with this. I really do. I will keep in the background... Because of that conviction, you're actually not on their level. They operate in a different league to you. These are the sort of things I have to... I don't know whether you sort of feel these sort of things. That, that's all from the devil. That, that is not... You know, when, when it comes to the, the healing power of the body of Christ and what God wants to do with each one of us, there's no critical uh, one-upmanship legalism there. So we're on the last slide now. Emotional healing within the family. The weak are not despised in the Bible. Okay? The weak are not despised in the Bible. Encourage the timid and help the weak. Sympathize with the weaknesses of others. Accept and help those whose faith is weak. Bear with the failings of the weak. 
Don't become a stumbling block to the weak. Show mercy to those who doubt. This is the essence of, of the Bible. The Bible does not despise those who are weak. Jesus would not snuff out a smoldering flax or break a reed that is just about to break and snap. No, he brings his healing. So I'm very conscious of the time. All right. Just finish with this, this last slide. So what are we going to do? What must I do if I want to be transformed personally? What must I do if I want to be part of the process of transforming someone else? Okay, which I think we all fit there somewhere, don't we? One or the other, or both. I've got to make myself vulnerable and believe Jesus himself is ministering to me personally through other members of his family. That's essential. What should I do when I see someone who is weak and in need? Remember, they need help, not condemnation. And then, doing the one anotherings, keeping all relationships with others sweet, transparent, and honest. The Bible teaches us whoever we feel is to blame in any situation, we are responsible to initiate reconciliation. Okay? So you've got someone against someone else. You know someone else has got something against you. Rights or wrongs, blame or whatever, a part. If you know either of those things, you are expected to put it right. Okay? Now we're at the beginning of a year. Let's start this new year knowing our relationships with every single person in the body of Christ. Our sweet, harmonious transparent, loving, kind. And because no church is perfect, there will be issues here in this congregation. There will be issues where relationships aren't as sweet and as close and as transparent as they should be. We will never be transformed into the image of Christ while we let that sort of thing just hang there. We're just put on hold for all that time. That's such a waste of time. The older you get, you realize how much time you've wasted, really. You're thinking, oh, for goodness sake, life is short. Say you're sorry. Ask them for forgiveness. Put it right. Why, why, why are you hanging on to pride? You, you're, going to be, you're going to be humble to the core at the end of the day, so you might as well start the journey now. <laughs> is that right or what? Could we stand? I'd, like, I'd just like to pray for us all. Father, we, we thank you for the privilege of being part of your family. Lord, give us a fresh sense of what a privilege and a joy and a blessing it is to be part of the household of God, the family of God. And Father, we want to give ourselves afresh into your hands to be transformed. Lord, we want to be transformed. We know that it's a process. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to wait till we're um, in the top league to start being a blessing to others while we're being transformed we can be part of transforming others and so we praise you for that Lord thank you that we learn on the job as it were but we commit ourselves afresh right at the beginning of this year to become a people who are transformed to become transformed personally to cooperate with you to cooperate with your people 
Lord, to make ourselves vulnerable, to step out and use our gifts that we might be transformed into the image of your Son. For we love you, Lord Jesus, and we want to be like you in your precious name. Amen.